Gen Z Matters, a podcast bringing our perspective to the world. Today, for our debut episode, I am thrilled to be here joining you guys with Ashima and Hania. Hi, guys. Hi. Hi. We're so excited to talk to you today. I'm excited to be joining you guys as well. So you guys are from an organization. Would you guys like to talk to us about that? Definitely. So Ishima and I are juniors, so we're 11th graders, and we started an organization called Lucky Parao, which means um, teach the girl child in Hindi. And our whole goal is to sort of raise awareness and combat the issue of the lack of education for girls and young men. Yeah, so I'll just elaborate on what Hania said. Um, initially, we created this just to focus on education of the girl child because growing up in India, we both saw that the education of women wasn't that focused on. A lot of young girls were being sent to marriage, like forced into arranged marriages at a very young age. So we kind of wanted to help combat this issue. Um, when we started exploring deeper into the issue, we realized that there were a lot more things than just a girl not being sent to school, you know? There were like infrastructure problems where there simply weren't enough resources in India to like advocate for all the kids that there were. Um, then we realized that there are issues with the self-defense of the woman where the families didn't feel comfortable sending the girls every day to school because it was risky and it just was not safe. Um, and then there were also issues with menstrual hygiene where there weren't enough products. So the girls would be missing one week of school every single month for the whole year, which again, tampered with their learning. So as we began to realize more and more of these issues, we felt the need to like break them down and kind of tackle each of them individually, if that makes sense. So now the work that we do kind of varies. It's from like book drives to financial literacy sessions to um, period awareness campaigns. And again, we consistently try to have like a huge focus on self-defense as well. So that sounds amazing. I think that the work that you guys are doing, it's truly inspirational. So Lucky Patao, that means teach the girl. So you guys mainly work with girls in general or just young children? So I think like Ishima said, I mean, we initially started out with just young girls, but then we slowly realized that the lack of representation and lack of opportunities for all lower income background children. So we decided to sort of make our issue and use our privilege and make it more widespread by including both genders. Honestly, the initiative that you guys are taking, it's amazing. Education is such like a powerful tool that can be utilized and that really helps sharpen the mind. So the work that you guys are doing is truly incredible. So I think today we are here speaking about gender inequality and gender equality and the history of that and what we can do to take action in the future. But before we can start talking about what's happening today, we need to go back into the past and kind of talk about the scenarios that have allowed us to get to where we are today. So would either of you guys like to start talking a little bit about India's history? Yeah, definitely. I think history-wise, India has really, really rich history in gender equality. And a lot of this is owing to the fact that um, a lot of it is also very, very new because these significant strides are made very recently. Um, one of which is sort of the, um, I think, Child Marriage Restraint Act. And so this was like in the 20th century when the, I think it was like the All India Women's Conference that was formed. And this was like one of the um, sort of first conference taken in India 
to sort of uh, advance women's rights. And I think about in the 1920s, this act was passed, which raised the minimum age of marriage from 10 to 14. And I mean, like putting that into perspective, to think that a 14 year old was allowed to get married back then, I mean, it, it's appalling. And the fact that very recently, I think in the past five years, this act has then been changed in some states, such as I think Gujarat, where it's gone from about I think 16 to 18 years, and this has caused like havoc world, like havoc throughout the state. A lot of people have um, there's a lot of political unrest because of this act, and moreover, people had decided to sort of open a quote-unquote black market for child marriages where this was all happening underground so sexual trafficking had increased human trafficking had increased and um essentially they started um marrying young girls off at even lower ages because of the fact that women were standing up and women were saying that this was not okay yeah the like not as much i can say for certain is happening in america on the child market (laughs) or child trafficking kind of situation, especially with women. But I know in overseas in a lot of countries, such as India, like Bangladesh, in Pakistan, Afghanistan, it's happening on more of a worldwide kind of global spread. So even in America, when we're looking at kind of the history of women's rights, like we still can like improve so much and we still have to like make sure that we are able to address these kinds of global matters and be aware and take a stance. So do you, want, do you want to expand on that, about the um, American history of gender inequality? Yeah, I'd love to. So d- gender inequality throughout the world has dated back to very like early origins. But specifically in America, it started really picking up speed where women started to advocate more for their rights during the women's suffrage movement, start, which started in 1848. The first congre- congregational meeting, the Seneca Falls meeting, was held. And prominent people within this movement included Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton. So during this time, women were fighting for the right to vote and to have equal opportunities within the political stance of our nation. And so they fought long and hard battles. And in 1920, in August, they had won. The 19th Amendment was installed and the first wave of feminism came to a close and they had reached a positive conclusion. After that, there have been several other waves of feminism, such as the second wave in the 60s, where they fought for the more magnified forms of equality, such as in the workplace and tackling the oppression that was faced in certain kinds of cultural history. Currently in America, we're going through the fourth and the fifth wave of feminism, looking more at the intersectionality that crosses with race and like sex in general. But we're kind of currently working through our struggles, but we still have to remember the past that got us there in the first place. I know globally, worldwide, though, religion has played a huge part into our perception of women in the first place. Would either of you guys like to touch upon that in India? Yeah, for sure. Um, Firstly, thank you for sharing. That was a really touching story to hear, actually. Um, So in terms of religion, because we are based in India, I'm primarily going to talk about Hinduism. Um, And so in Hinduism, I'm just going to clarify for anyone who doesn't know, um, there are multiple major female goddesses. There's um, Durga, Lakshmi, and Saraswati, who are all per, like very, very dominant Indian goddesses. And then there are also nine devis, who again are very predominant 
Indian goddesses. So while there are these huge Indian goddesses that everyone prays to almost on a daily basis throughout the whole country, like individual women specifically aren't treated that well or considered that important in Hinduism. So when you're a child as a girl, you go on this thing called Kanya Bhol, means the girl. And essentially you go to your neighbor's houses and they will give you food and they will touch your feet. And again, they think that you are a version of these goddesses till you're about 14, right? And so like they treat you really lovely then. But once you are 14, a lot of women start getting their periods and they're not considered to be goddesses anymore. They aren't They aren't invited to these Kanya Bhoj things. Um, and when you are on your period, according to Hinduism, you're not allowed to go to the temples. You're not allowed to be in the kitchen and cook. Um, you're just wholly considered to be like unholy and um, unsanitary. So it's it's a really big shift if you think about it, right? They're calling, to, they're calling you to their house. They're touching your feet. They're giving you money. They're giving you food. And as soon as you get your period, you're not allowed to go out. You can't do this. You can't do that. It's such a big shift. And even talking about your period is such a big taboo in Hinduism. You're simply just like not allowed to talk about it outside of the house or even with like certain members of your family. So all these little things are there. And then on a other note, there's this thing called the Bhakti movement, which essentially fought to like combat these things because I think there was a time in India a while back where women weren't allowed to go to the temple ever. Like recently it's turned into just on your period, but there was a time when women simply weren't allowed to go to the temple at all. And there was a bhakti movement, which it emerged in medieval India, and it really focused on the importance of the devotion to God above like gender or social status. So many, many women fought in this movement to kind of like gain prominence because a lot of the gurus and the pundits who are the priests essentially were not allowed to be women and they were only allowed to be men. So when this movement happened, a lot of women fought to be allowed to worship and pray to God. So I think, yeah, that kind of sums up the importance of women in Hinduism specifically, at least. Yeah, no, that was a great recap of all of that. I am personally a Hindu as well. In America, I know the culture isn't necessarily as stringent as it is in India, but I do know like a lot of the stigmas that some of my friends and I face even within our communities and like menstruation kind of awareness that sh should be spread or should be a bit more normalized in the culture in general is something that had been set a while ago. I think even moving a bit like further away from Hinduism and into the broader like scope of religion, many different world religions such as Christianity, Judaism, and other ones have kind of faced stigmas against women for a while. Like even in the Bible, depictions of women were more of the softer or the more docile of the two sexes and even in general in society i guess a bit more today women still have that kind of perception of being more meek or innocent or even at times they can be kind of looked down upon for some of their traits which is something that we can kind of break free from like the cultural barriers today kind of moving into like the discussion of modern feminism and ways that we are still being affected today how does that apply in, in, in India? In India, this very, very new global paradigm or shift of raising awareness and asking for change and sort of 
you know, protesting for change. I think that's more towards the higher income backgrounds in India solely because of social media. So due to like globalization and internet internet internationalization, apologies, about all of these ideas and all of these like sort of like your Gen Z Matters podcast, because we are able to like put this on the internet because it's um because we are able to reach all these new developing countries a lot of the higher income background groups such as you know um, a lot of these younger international schools a lot of younger individuals in india have been protesting for change but i think that that it's there's this huge disparity between um, sort of the higher income background groups and the lower ones in india and because of those people in poverty they're simply not even made aware of the issues that they have and there's very very little awareness because a lot of what a lot of people in india end up doing is doing this solely for social media or fame online so a lot of this change hasn't really met the roots of india or what genuinely needs to have fundamental institutional change yeah i think to add on a lot of the change is conducted in specific areas as well in india right like hania said it's mainly from these international schools kids parents those families that are more well off and traditionally those families are based only in the major metro cities i want to say like bangalore delhi mumbai that's about it realistically right so if you're looking at these smaller cities where a lot of the problem is most prevalent there is no change that is actually happening a lot of these people are so so uneducated about what these about what the problem is even they don't understand what the issue is and so when you initially even interact with them there's zero understanding of what we're even trying to do which kind of makes it difficult for people who are also trying to make change just because in so many situations the women we are trying to help simply don't understand what we're saving them from or what we're helping them with so they're very very negative and standoffish and not open to even helping them which again is based on the lack of knowledge of the issue and the better life it's at our turn point i think we were like doing an event on financial literacy and there was just we were met with so much friction for even like the most basic fundamental things like have a bank account or have some place where you can store and save your money you know invest in lowers uh lowers investments such as mutual funds and we were met with so much friction because there is like very very little knowledge and awareness as to what what is wrong like you know what we're doing wrong as a country and it's all hidden so so well by the government and sort of masked so well because on social media a lot of these a lot of more developed and first world nations sort of take up most of the news so to speak but yeah i completely see and understand like where you guys are coming from with all your points. I can definitely say that as a first world nation, America is one of those countries taking up a lot of the spots in the news feed and populating various social media platforms with our news. When there's a lot of global issues and affairs that really need to be discussed. I know how you're mentioning about social media and especially I could say here in America, social media has been one of the biggest propellers for activism in general. taking a stand and making the world aware of various perspectives, viewpoints and even issues to be tackled in the first place is really made possible through social media, especially in our generation where most of the communication and everything is digitally. We're in the digital age at this very moment. 
But as well as that, I do definitely agree with some of the harms and the downfalls that it brings. With kind of people who are living more in a lower economic status, they don't have kind of access to these big social media platforms and they aren't necessarily aware of exactly what's happening all the time. And so when they aren't even knowledgeable of what's going on, then we start to see these gaps between information and more of these data holes or pitfalls even. And I think that's one of the biggest things that we can do in general, kind of education. I know with women's education, two-thirds of the illiterate population is women. And most of these women come from underprivileged and poorer backgrounds. So I think if we can definitely find a way to provide more education to these women, that we can definitely do that. Which is why like, I stand by your organization and what you guys are doing, providing education for these people. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, We definitely need support from, I think, more teenagers, I want to say, specifically teenagers, because when, like, younger people get involved, um, I've also, like, noticed when we go and connect with these kids who are our age, and um, they're automatically more comfortable to talk to us compared with when older people come in. So, yeah, we are definitely hoping to have more um, teenagers and youth come help us with our cause. Yeah, no, I think that giving it some time, you will be able to rope some more younger individuals in to help you guys. I think in general, when looking in like the workplace though, there still are some gender inequalities relating to the pay gap. I know here in America, women make only 79 cents on the dollar, and that's just the general majority of women. When breaking it down even into further details, women of color make even less than that, usually under 65 cents. In India, are there any kinds of similar pay gaps or even discrimination women face in the workplace? Yeah, I think for sure, if not even more prevalent, um, a lot of Indian women face the issue of microaggressions every single day in the workplace. And additionally, I think that not only do we see this in like sort of a capitalist world, but also I think like women only make up what 29% of senior management roles. They're also severely underrepresented in government and in parliaments worldwide, especially in India. So I think that if anything, the issues are sort of amplified in India because of sort of a lack of awareness and again the lack of inequality yeah to add on to what Hania said while there is a significant difference in the pay gap there's an even bigger problem with women simply not having that many jobs um women in formal jobs were only represent like 14 percent of the whole industry at any formal position um and so when you think about the fact that there are so few women working, the idea of the gender pay gap um, isn't as prevalent. It's more about the idea of getting more women to the top positions and then fighting for um, higher pay. Because at this point, if like with the, the relatively low amount of women, even at these top positions, if you're going to fight for money, you're, they're kind of just going to get off the team um, and you won't have that much of a kind of union type format. Um, Moreover, in terms of sexual harassment, at least 52% of women at work experience unwanted sexual advances, which is genuinely really scary to think about. As someone who is like 16, about to join the workforce very soon, um, just the idea of almost like 
I have half a chance of like literally 50% guaranteed that I will be sexually assaulted. And again, these are just the reported statistics, right? You have to think about the fact that there are probably so many unreported cases going around online and going around in general. So just um, kind of re-emphasizing the fact that self-defense is so and so important. And yeah, that's kind of it. Yeah, no, I completely see where you guys are coming from. With the sexual harassment in the workplace, I know many women in America and globally have to experience that on a day-to-day -day basis, whether it's catcalling or unwanted like touching or even just general harassment. It's something that no women should ever have to go through, but yet the unfortunate truth is that many actually do go through it. It's even sometimes scary to walk out into the street. Nowadays, like, many companies are selling, def like, items that we're going to need for our self-defense, such as pepper spray or, like, a lip gloss taser. And it's, like, it's truly sad to think about how in our modern society, we do need all these various forms of self-defense. And self-defense in general is such an important thing because as women, we do ne definitely need to know how to defend ourselves against anything that may come our way. But like now in our modern cultures, that just keeps getting more amplified and amplified. And it is really important, but it's like, it's actually very sad that we even like need to think about that more in general as women in the first place. For sure, I agree. Um, like you mentioned, the fact that we even have to be worrying about like, oh, can I wear this outside? Oh, can I go out at this time? All these things should like are fundamentally restricting us. You know, you could be in one of the countries with the freest government ever that lets you do whatever the whole system of the u.s is based on freedom but like women are constantly still wondering is it safe to wear this outside can i do this which is literally restricting a basic human right you know um and i also kind of just wanted to briefly touch on a few of the objects you mentioned i think you were talking about like pepper spray and stuff um not entirely relevant but another um kind of like monetary influence that another monetary disadvantage i'll say that women have to face is the pink tax i don't know if you're familiar with the topic but it's essentially the idea that women's products are always charged more than men for being pink or associated with women so a very common example of this is razors so razors by the same company were i think almost 35 percent higher for women because the razors were pink and marketed to women, which while they were the exact like same to same razors, because of the difference in color and the difference in packaging, they were 35% higher. Um, and this also plays in like, I've seen this happen with soaps. I've seen this happen with like basic shampoo, so many different products that are basic to men and women, the products to men will be the products to women will be charged higher. And um, again, this is something that leads to women obviously having to pay more for the same product, which can further really disadvantage them when you're buying these products like consistently, right? Like razors, soap, you're using these on a daily basis almost. So just another astonishing thing to think about. Sorry, sorry. I think just to add on that under this pink tax, a lot of countries um, write off all these menstruation products as luxury so then on top of the pink tax they add luxury tax on it and i mean that's crazy because this is like a fundamental it's like saying band-aids are a luxury you know it's like such a fundamental thing that women require and on top of the wage gap they make our products more expensive so it's just really making our lives harder out here but yeah
No, yeah, I definitely agree. It's really funny. Just as you were going to mention the pink tax, I was going to bring that up like a second later. Even like crazier than that, women usually have to spend $500,000 more than men in their lifetimes over these futile little things such as like the pink tax, luxury tax, tax, and even having to like have pay for more expensive menstruation products. Like it's truly something that we we should definitely continue to push for in the future with like generation and through activism in general, having to keep pushing for these costs to be lowered in general and to hopefully eliminate the pink tax someday. What can we do, at least from your perspective? Because you guys running Ladki Patao is like an amazing organization that does help people take a stand. What can we do in general as a community, as a generation to help take more of a stand in women's rights and help change these things that future generations won't have to go through this? So I think on a self-marketing um, level, I would say join organizations in your local community, wherever you are. It doesn't specifically have to be Life Keep Proud, but we are accepting volunteers always. Um, but just join any organization, start an organization, even if it's just like, I understand again, social media, just campaigning online isn't the most significant impact you can make. But even if it's all you can do, go for it. Any change is good change. And <clears throat> that's like, a, it's really simple posting online and everything. Um, if you are able to make bigger changes, I would say interact with society first and figure out what specific, what the women in your area are specifically facing. Um, because while we are talking about the pink tax and stuff, if you think of lower income areas, like again in India, like a majority of the female population is not going out to buy razors. They are not buying female soap. They are just buying one soap for the whole family um, and kind of going off that. So maybe focus on what exactly is the issue. Like for us in India, we realized education was the main problem. So that's what we are focusing on. But then again, in the higher income countries, it will be like the pink tax and stuff. So I would say get to know your society first. Um, and yeah, just make any possible difference you can. It doesn't matter how big or small it is. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with her. You know, go out into your community and sort of just talk to the people who are suffering through these problems every single day. Because the stories you'll hear and the lessons you'll learn are like, go out there and they'll motivate you awareness and raise awareness in the world. Because... Because of social media, we are able to internationalize a lot of these problems. But I think if we were able to solve these in our local communities, like the the reverberations and sort of the ripple effect will be seen for years to come. And I think that that change and that satisfaction is unmatched. Yeah, I definitely agree with everything that you guys are saying. I think that the biggest way that we can make an impact in the world is by starting small, starting in our local communities, speaking out, starting kinds of different kinds of organizations, or even small things that we can do to help. If everyone did that, then we would then we, then we would be more easily able to tackle the problem on a global scale. And even kinds of tinier things, such as donating to charities, or even speaking out in the first place, can make the biggest difference when fighting these kinds of issues. So I wanted to thank you guys for coming out here at early in your morning, late at my night with the time difference. It was amazing having you guys here today. And I definitely, I learned so much from talking with you guys. Yeah, thank you so much. It's really nice to talk to you.
Sorry if we both were like a little bit off our game. It's like 6 a.m. here and we're so tired. But it was really nice to talk to you, yeah. Yeah, thank you so much for having Lardkeeper How. I mean, we're really, really excited to see where your podcast goes and sort of where this journey takes you as well. Thank you. No, it was great talking with you guys as well. Don't worry, you did amazing for waking up at 6 a.m. I couldn't even... But yeah, I wanted to thank you guys for coming out here today. And I wanted to thank everyone who is listening to this right now. Thank you for listening to our debut episode. Follow Lightkeepathou on Instagram. I will be providing their links in the description of this video. And follow Gen Z Matters to keep up with our content and to learn what we can do as a generation to better the world. Thank you so much and have a great day.